Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Alrighty, so I know we prayed, let's just, would you pray with me, please? God, uh, we are now turning to your word. We want to do so with confidence and trust. So God, I, I pray and I trust that if there is anything I say that's not right or inaccurate, I am grateful that I can trust that through your spirit, you will guard us f- from being influenced and directed the wrong way. I also pray, God, that you will take truth and you'll transform us, and I pray that we will live out the truth in love, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in, 2000, back in the year 2017, the Kansas City Chiefs drafted a young quarterback out of Texas Tech, and his name is Patrick Mahomes. So do you know, do, do you guys all know that there are people who make a living grading draft picks? Uh, people make a living grading draft picks. And there is a guy named Joel Thurman, Thurman, whose job it is, uh, is to review and grade draft, pick, draft picks. And he wrote this in 2017 when the Kansas City Chiefs drafted Patrick Mahomes. Calling Mahomes a project is an understatement. He is nowhere near ready to play in the NFL. And honestly, he may never be. Remember, this guy gets paid for this. <laughs> he gets paid a lot of money for this. Between his incons... It's kind of like a weatherman. You don't have to be right. And you're, you know, you still have a job. Anyway, uh, because of his... Be, between his inconsistent accuracy due to poor mechanics, his tendency to bail from clean pockets, and his lack of field vision, he is going to leave as many big plays on the field as he creates. This was a risky pick. And he gave Patrick Mahomes a C-minus grade. Now, in his first year with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2017, Patrick Mahomes only did play in one game, the very last game of the season. He threw an interception, no touchdowns, ran for a couple yards, and it looked like Joel Thurman was worth his money. He looked right. But it is a good thing that the Kansas City Chiefs do not grade like Joel Thurman says. Wouldn't you uh, agree? Because in his second season as a starting quarterback with the Kansas City Chief, Patrick Mahomes had an excellent year. 2018, he led his teams to the playoff. In his, thir- in his second season as the starting quarterback, 2019, he led them to the conference championships. And in his third year as a starting quarterback, he led his team to the NFL Super Bowl, and he won. And he became the youngest ever Super Bowl MVP. And in his fourth season, I expect he will win his second Super Bowl, and he will become the youngest player to ever start in two Super Bowls. I've heard people say that Patrick Mahomes ranks right up there, and by the time he's done with his career, he will be right up there with the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. Not bad for a C-minus prospect. Now, it's tempting to say that that guy just didn't know what he was talking about, that they didn't know what he was looking at. The truth is, he actually did. And everybody else looked at Patrick Mahomes in college, they all wrote pretty much the same thing. His assessment was accurate. What he did not know was that Patrick Mahomes could outplay his deficits. And although those weaknesses might have derailed a half dozen other quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes was able to take his weaknesses and actually turn his weaknesses into strengths. So our problems and our weaknesses will either derail us or we will get better because of them. 
Is there anybody here who has not yet noticed that we are living through a time of problems? Now, the problems we're living through are bigger than us, and I mean bigger than us as a particular individual church. They're not bigger than God, of course, but they're bigger than us. It is still our decision about how we will deal with them and whether they will derail us or we can turn them into strengths. Now, I don't know how I would grade us how we've done so far in the past year, but I do know that there are more problems to come, and we must decide where we will go and how to turn our weaknesses and our problems into strengths. So today, to finish this month, this partner month, to finish our With You series, I want to get very, very practical, and I want to talk about how we as a church plan to be with you, and how we hope that you will be with us over the next few months, how we'll face the obstacles that we are facing and how we'll turn them into strengths. Now, as is always the case, I want to be biblically informed, as I know you do too. So we're going to turn to some biblical wisdom to figure this out, and the account that I'm going to read for you comes from Acts chapter 6. This is from a story in the church, the church capital C, not an individual church, but the church capital C. This comes from a time when the church was still in its infancy. I don't even think that you could say the church was a toddler yet. The church is still a baby at the time I'm reading this from. Acts chapter 6, and I'm going to read um, verses 1 to 7. Somewhat familiar story, kind of really uh, picking up in the middle of some significant events that are going on. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Now, as the believers, as the number of believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows, meaning the Greek-speaking widows, were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, that's the apostles, they were at that time the only leaders in the church. The twelve called a meeting of all of the believers. Imagine the entire church in the whole world in one place in a meeting, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. And so brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and who are full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. And then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and in teaching the word. Now, everyone liked this idea, and they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas of Antioch, an earlier convict, convert to the Jewish faith. These seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them. And so God's message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests also were converted. Now, for us to talk about this, it's actually very simple when it comes to how we're going to organize what we're going to talk about. We're simply going to talk about the problem, and then we're going to talk about the solution. It's that easy to organize how we're going to talk about this. The problem, then the solution. Now, the problem that we're going to be looking at is a problem that is, it's kind of the result of a perfect storm. It is the crashing together of three issues all at once. And those three issues are the issues of growth, neglect, and capacity. So that's what we're going to talk about the problem, growth, neglect, and capacity. We're going to talk about them one at a time. So first of all, the issue of growth. Now, I think most of us would probably agree that to say that growth is a problem 
is a little bit uh, misleading because gross we, growth we don't necessarily think of as a problem. We usually think of it as a good thing because for a thing that is alive, that thing that's alive always has to grow. If it's not growing, it's dying. So if a thing is alive, we want to see it growing. And a church is an alive thing, and so it's meant to grow. And we as individuals, as individual Christians who are also alive in the faith, we are also meant to grow. And we all understand that. We understand that as believers, followers of Jesus Christ, we're to be growing in love, we're to be growing in character, we're, be, we're to be growing in our understanding of the truth. I think we all understand that Jesus intends for us, as people who are followers of Jesus, that we're in the process of transformation, and we, also call, we often call that transformation growth. So we're to be growing. And I think we also all understand that the entire church, not just Horizon, but the entire church, capital C, is also meant to be growing. Jesus, just prior to his, his ascension, just prior to his leaving the earth, Jesus assigned to the church what we call the Great Commission. And in that Great Commission, he said that we are to be making disciples. And you could put the word more in there. You could put the word more and say that we're to be making more disciples because to be making disciples is also a thing of making more of them. So we're to be making more disciples, which means uh, that we are to necessarily be growing. There's to be growth in the church as a whole. In fact, what's interesting about the book of Acts, we won't have the time to work through this, but it's kind of fascinating. When you read through this, this book that tells the history of the early church, you will find at times, you will find these, these little punctuation marks in which Luke, the author, will write very similar sentences about the spread and the growth of the church. There will be these significant moments that Luke will tell us about the church, and then it's like Luke will, will uh, he'll write a statement that's kind of like a punctuation mark to, to summarize what happens after that significant event. And so all through Acts, you'll see these statements that, uh, statements like, and the church continued to grow, or and the word of God spread, or and the number of disciples increased. So statements like that spread throughout Luke are kind of punctuation marks. They're very common in Luke. And they're meant to tell us, meant to tell you and I, the reader, that here is something that significant happened in the life of the church, and it resulted in what God wants to see. More disciples being made. Uh, the church is growing. But here's the thing. Uh, growth always always, always brings with it certain kinds of problems. It would be nice if it didn't. It would be nice if we could just live with the illusion that when we're growing, all is well. And we could just continue on endlessly doing what we're doing. And while we're doing that, somewhere in the background, Julie Andrews is singing, you know, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. These are a few of my favorite things. And all would just, you know, endlessly be on this, this loop of happy. It's just not so. Growing always, always, always brings with it problems. Now, by the way, so does not growing. Um, not growing brings with it more significant problems. But growing will always bring with it problems. Growing is not a problem-free option. And in this case, growing brought with it two issues in this perfect storm. The first issue was the issue of neglect. So the perfect storm, growing and then neglect. And this particular case, growing brought this sense of a group of people who started to feel that they were neglected. Now, I got to tell you, in the, in the life of the church, maybe in the life of every organization, this is a really common problem that comes with growing. Somebody who uh, used to get attention, or somebody who used to have power and influence, or somebody who used to have a really big piece of the pie, no longer does. And it feels like neglect. It feels like, well, I used to be a significant part of this. And I don't feel that way anymore. I feel neglected. So growing brings with it, very often, it's common. It brings with us, with, when you grow, it brings this feeling of neglect. Now, in this case, in the book of Acts, I don't think it was just a feeling of neglect. Um, I think it was real. There were a group of people who felt 
and who probably were being neglected. And in our Bibles, and in the Bibles that, that you're reading too, one way or another, it will call that group of people the Greek-speaking widows, the Greek-speaking followers of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't necessarily want to spend a ton of time on this, but I do think you need to have a basic understanding of the conflict that was going on between the people identified as the Greek-speaking believers and the Hebrew-speaking believers. You need to know this is not a conflict about language, even though they're called the speakers. It has nothing, it has very little to do with language. Uh, generations earlier, generations before this episode, the Jewish people had lost their kingdom. They'd lost their nation. And as a result of that, the Jewish people tended, uh, they, they tended to scatter. Uh, they scattered from Israel, and they ended up living among all kinds of different people groups all around the world. And the Jews, when they lived among under, un, other people groups, just like what happened to anybody when you, when you left your people group and you lived among another people group, like everybody else, they began to slowly absorb the culture of the people among whom they were living. They absorbed their values. They absorbed how that group of people thought about the world. They absorbed what that group of people ate. They absorbed how that group of people dressed, how they spent their money, uh, what they talked about, who were their heroes, uh, etc. They simply just began to absorb the culture of the people that they were living with. And then along came a guy named Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great turned the whole known world into a Greek-speaking world. And so those Jewish people living outside of Israel who were absorbed in other cultures, they began to speak Greek. But it's not just a language problem. Uh, there were all kinds of differences other than language. There were significant cultural differences. So you have these Jewish people living all around the world being absorbed by other cultures and they're absorbing other cultures. They're speaking a different language and yet they're still Jewish. And because they were still Jewish, almost all Jews spread all around the world. They still had this desire. They had this desire to at least once in their lifetime, make a pilgrimage to go back to the temple in Jerusalem and to at least once in their life observe and participate in Jewish festivals like the Passover and Pentecost, which comes 50 days after Passover. And Jews, almost all Jews, if they were able, at least once in their life, they'd do that. They'd make their, they'd make their, their, uh, they'd make their pilgrimage, they'd observe the Passover, they'd, stay for, uh, they observe, Pen they'd observe Pentecost, and then you have this one miraculous Pentecost. Many of these Greek-speaking, Greek-cultured Jews were visiting Jerusalem. They were there for Passover. They stayed for Pentecost. And in this one miraculous Pentecost that they were there for, the church is born. And these Jewish visitors they're there around the temple and they see and they hear this just incredible display of God's power and they are shocked. And then Peter gets up and Peter preaches in Acts chapter 2. Luke tells us about this. Peter preaches the very first sermon, church sermon ever. And many of these believers who were there for this festival they believe what Peter is preaching about Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, Luke tells us that overnight, overnight, as a result of this miraculous event at Pentecost, this Jewish festival, overnight, 3,000 people become followers of Jesus Christ, men and women, boys and girls, almost overnight. And many of them, Many of these visitors to Jerusalem, rather than going back home when Pentecost is over, they decided to stay in Jerusalem because that's where the church was. That's the only place where the church was. It's the only church that existed, the church in Jerusalem. So they decide, why go back home 
when I can't go home and learn anything about Jesus, I'm going to stay here for a while. And they stayed in Jerusalem in the vicinity so that they could learn more about Jesus and what it meant to be one of his followers. Now, if you can imagine a situation like that, imagine a situation where in a single town, you have a couple thousand people who were visitors for 50-ish days, living with friends, etc. And all of a sudden, those 3,000 plus people decide, you know, we're going to stay. There is... 3,000 people who suddenly are not in their own homes. They don't have homes. They don't have jobs. They don't have cell service. And it created this kind of crisis of need in the early church. 3,000 people suddenly need to be taken care of. Which is why in Luke chapter 2, you have this incredible story. It's the end of Luke chapter 2. We often read this, the end of Luke chapter 2, as a picture of the ideal church. But it's a picture that came out of need. When the church, Luke says at the end of 2, he says the church, they ate together every day. And it says that several people started selling their possessions so that they could meet this immense need of the early early church. 3,000 plus people are suddenly all living together trying to discover what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus. Now, here's the thing. At that moment, every single leader of the church was a Hebrew-speaking leader. Every single one. They were all Hebrew culture leaders. And it's not just language, what language you spoke. It's about culture. It's about values. And all of these Greek-cultured people started to realize that when these resources were being distributed, people are selling their their possessions and the church is handing out resources to take care of people, the Greek-speaking people started to realize that when the resources are being distributed, their widows, the Greek-cultured widows, were being neglected. Remember, this is a problem of growth. And and I'm positive that they were not being neglected on purpose. It's not like the Hebrew-speaking leaders were saying, hey, you know those widows who are wearing the togas and have Hercules tattooed on their ankles? Um, Look, when we we hand out the baklava, make sure that they don't get any. Keep it for ourselves. Um, This was not on purpose that they were doing that. It, It was the result, it's the result of certain prejudices that every single one of us has. And I wish we could just be honest about that. It's the result of prejudices that every single one of us has, even though we don't know they're there. They are. And they're the kind of prejudices that cause us to not even see certain people. And so you have this church in which the Greek cultured widows weren't even seen. They weren't even seen. Because every one of us has a way of seeing the world that is our way of seeing the world. And of course we think that's the right way to see the world. But the bottom line is, there are people who are unseen. People who are being neglected. And so in this church, as a result of that, this unintentional problem resulting from the prejudices we all have, leaving a group of people unseen, as a result of that, Luke said that there was grumbling and there was murmuring and there was complaining. Now, here's the thing. This is so important. The grumbling was about resources, right? It was grumbling about resources and the distribution of resources. The grumbling was about how those resources get used in the church. Now, here's the thing about our resources. Where do all of our resources come from? Where do all of our resources come from? Now, I know, and it's true, the first and the obvious answer is God, and that's absolutely true. Everything we have comes from God. Our building, our building, is the end result of multiple miracles that I'm sure God provided for us. Everything we have comes from God. But on a human level, our resources also come from us. They come from us. We don't get any resources from government funding. We don't get any money from grants. 
There's no denomination that is paying the bills. There's no Knights Templar organization paying our bills. There's no underground minister's mafia that pays salaries, keeps the lights on, replaces broken office chairs, repairs snowblowers, or anything else. It all comes from us. All of it. Now, the thing is, when you and I give money to the church, we know that this is one way of giving to God. It's not the only way. The way that we use all of our money is about how we love and give and serve God. Every single dime that we have, every single dime that we spend is a statement of our faith Every single dime. But our faithfulness in giving to Jesus, to his church, is an important statement about our faithfulness to Jesus. Funny story about this. One time, not all that long ago, um, we had a, a real specific need here at Horizon Church before we ever got to talking about it in a, in a large circle, one person who knew about the need came and said to me, uh, to some of the leaders, they said, look, I've just come into a little bit of money from an estate, from a relative, so we'll take care of this need. That was wonderful. It was just a, a great gift. We didn't have to make a big deal about it. So we went out, we bought the item. And when that person came and saw the actual item that we ended up buying, she said, that's it? That's the one you got? If I had known you were picking that one, I would have not have given money for it in the first place. And I was a little bit shocked, and so I actually said, well, do you want your money back? And because my brain worked, like all of us, my brain works pretty, you know, fast I'm talking, I was actually kind of hoping that she would respond by saying, yeah, I want my money back, because I was already planning to say, my brain had raised dead, I was always planning to say, okay, well, let's hold hands, and we're going to pray, dear Jesus, I hope you see us standing at the customer service counter of heaven. We don't have a receipt for this, but I hope you will give us our money back anyway, because it's yours. But she didn't end up saying, yeah, I want my money back, so I couldn't pray that prayer, unfortunately. But understand, understand that all together, all together, we fund this. Which means there is always tension. And I think it's good tension. There is always tension about how we use the resources that we have given. And the tension is, okay, We've given this. This comes from us. So do we use it here in the Lehigh Valley? Do we use it in the United States? Or do we use it around the world? And do we use our resources with the mindset of, well, it's us first and then them? Or do we use it and say, let's meet our own church needs first and then meet the needs of those outside the church? Or should we be taking our resources and should we use it to fund and meet real social needs like caring for young boys and young girls who are freed from human trafficking in Ghana? Do we use it to meet social needs or do we use it in a way in which people are actually hearing the gospel? Should we put Bibles in the hands of people who never had them in their own language? And what happens? What happens if we meet a real need and we never get a thank you? Is the person ungrateful? Do we fund people? Or what happens if, we, let's say, we pay for a month rent or a couple months rent for somebody who's transitioning back to life and maybe that person lives in that apartment for a couple months and then they start using again to lose their apartment anyway after we paid for a couple months is it wasted the money we spent do we waste our money on ungrateful people do we give foolishly these are real do you see how tricky it gets See how tricky it gets when we say, look, these are our resources, and they are. We want to use them well. How do we use them? 
But here in this church in Acts, in this particular church in Acts, you have these Greek cultured those who did not have a voice. They were unseen. These widows did not have money to fund a Super Bowl commercial that would put a tear running down your cheeks that would motivate you to get your checkbooks out and write to their cause. They didn't have clout. And in the Bible, God tells us over and over, those are the kind of people I want you watching out for. People without clout, people who don't have a voice, people who don't have influence, people like widows and people like orphans who do not have access to the decision makers and the power makers of the world. Which simply means that in the church, even today, even to this day, God is asking us to have Jesus-driven hearts to be willing to look for and look at people who are not seen, people who do not have access to power, people who are in great need, but do not have the clout to say, we want grants and we want attention. But that is hard to do because the powerless do not make noise. They did not hear. There was grumbling, but it took people of influence to say, hey, it's not the widows who said this. It's the people with influence who said, hey, our widows are unseen. They're neglected. Now that leads to the third part of the problem. First, there was growth. Secondly, there's neglect. And the third part of the problem is capacity. Every leader has a certain capacity. Sometimes I think about it this way. Um, there's a parable that Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we call it the parable of the talents. Because in the Bible, uh, a certain person, uh, a manager, distributes what gets called talents. Now, biblically, that's money. A talent was a unit of money. But that word has come into our language as a skill, as an ability. Anyway, in that parable... Uh, Jesus says that a certain person gave five talents to one and two talents to another and one talent to another. And I think that that's a pretty normal, pretty accurate way to think about people, that there are multi-talented, five-talented people. There are two talented people, most of us, pretty average and then there are one-talent people. That's not an insult. It's just a description. Now, the thing is, in life, there are plenty one-talented people who far exceed the five-talented people because they learn to work hard, and they're disciplined, and they're faithful to God. They develop productive habits, and they enjoy a whole lot of success. But the bottom line is, every leader, every leader has a certain capacity. Five talented leaders, two talented leaders, one talent leaders. And that capacity influences how much they're able to lead, how much they can carry. That's not an insult, it's just a description. And not only is it about specific leaders, it's also about a style of leadership. It's about a structure of leadership. 212 people requires a different kind of leadership than do 12 people. And leading 512 people is very different than leading 212 people. And leading 3,012 people is far different than leading 512 people. It is not just about more leaders. It's a different kind of leadership. This church has outgrown its leadership capacity. They did not need just more leaders. They need a different kind of leadership. It used to be 12. 12 people led the whole church. That was fine when it's 112 people. Now it's like 5,012 plus in Jerusalem. They have exceeded their capacity. And so the leaders say, when they recognize that some people are being neglected, the leaders say, honestly, we can't do this. That's the bottom line. They said, we can't do this. 
Now, that's the problem. Do you see the perfect storm of problems? Growth, neglect, and capacity. And they all merge and they create the problem. Now, the solution. To their credit, the 12 apostles understood that this is not an insult to them. They didn't get defensive about the grumbling. There is no sense in Acts that the leaders get angry and they write Monday morning resignation letters. They never contacted the apostles' union and said, hey, send me to a different church. I don't like this one anymore. They just led. They were leaders and they led. And they said, you know what? The way we're leading isn't working anymore. And we have to lead in a new way. And they said, we can't neglect the work Jesus called us to to do work he did not call us to. And so they said, we need to adjust how we lead. And they did. Now, two things about this, and this is so important. Sometimes when we're reading this, we insert the word just, as in, we do not want to neglect teaching and praying just to serve tables, as if there's a pecking order in leadership. There's this leadership up here, the teaching and the preaching, and there's this leadership down here, the serving of tables. They did not use the word just. It's not there. In fact, this is interesting. This is important. In our Bibles, I didn't make slides for any of this just because I knew we'd be limping through this service. And by the way, thank you to those of you who were back there and who showed up to, to do this. Um, in our Bibles, there is a word in our Greek Bibles, um, the word uh, diakonia, D-I, if we put it into English, it would be D-I-A-K-O-N-I-A, diakonia. It's where we get our English word deacon. That word diakonia means uh, to serve, to minister. It means to serve or to minister. Now, here's where it appears. If you have your Bibles, it'd be great to look at them. It appears in verse 1 when it says this, the Greek cultured women, Greek speaking women were being neglected in the daily, my Bible wrote distribution, but that's where the word is. They were neglected in the daily diaconia, the daily, daily serving, the daily ministering of food. They were being neglected. The church understood that the serving of food was a ministry and it was an important ministry. It was diaconia. It was serving, ministering. Now, it gets even better. It's more important. The apostles themselves use this word two times. They use it the first time in verse 3 when the apostles say, we must spend our time teaching the word, not serving, there's the word, food. They said we shouldn't spend our time ministering food. But then they say this, verse 4, we need to find some people to do that so that we can spend our time serving, there's the word, serving the word, ministering the word. They use the same exact word to describe whether we're serving food or whether we're serving the word. They understood that there is no pecking order. There's not some of us up here and some of us down here. And if you understand what I, what I just told you about the word, the apostles understood that ministry means serving the word and ministry means serving tables. There wasn't a difference. Both important. Both were ministry. Both were necessary. And secondly, in order to do this, they said, let's select seven men. These men were described as men full of integrity, full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the power of God. At least two of the seven, this is so important, at least two of the seven, Stephen and Philip, are going to go on to have profound impact in the life of the church. Stephen, by the way, is still impacting the church 2,000 years later. It's his name, this event. It's Stephen who gave his name to the Stephen ministry, still going on 2,000 years later. There are something like 600,000 Stephen ministers named for this man all around the world who continue to serve and care for people just like this first man did. We had our first, as Andy said, we had our first training retreat this weekend where six people, ultimately seven people, are being trained in Horizon to be Stephen ministers. But notice this, and here's the thing that's important. Every one of these men has a Greek name. Um, they are all Greek-cultured men. 
So very, very wisely, when the leaders said, hey, we need to find some people who are going to serve the ministry of food, since we're talking about Greek-cultured people, let's pick Greek-cultured leaders, people who understand to whom they're serving. They will be able to best solve the problem. Isn't that brilliant? So here's where we are. We're presented in our church right now with the exact same three problems. Well, it's hard to believe it right now, but the exact same problems, growth, neglect, capacity. Exact same problems. So here's what we're planning to do and working on. Number one, there's a next step team. This next step team has been meeting since May of last year. We have, hard to believe right now, but we have capacity issues in our building that we identified actually long before this started. We summarized them. We worked on defining them, parking, sanctuary seating. It's hard to believe with like 15 people here, um, but ultimately in a few months, it'll be a problem. It was and it will be. Sanctuary seating space, storage problems office space problems, classroom problems, youth group problems, limited handicap access to a lot of our building. And our Next Step team has been working hard to figure out how we resolve this. Now, this is complicated by the fact that we believe that God gave us this neighborhood miraculously. I don't have time to tell you this story, but we believe that how we ended up in this building was a result of a miraculous way in which God redirected our prayers. And then when we started praying in line with what he wanted, God within two days gave us a miraculous answer, this building. So for many reasons, we believe we have to be committed to what God gave us, this neighborhood. Now we need your help. Uh, one way we need your help kind of practically is that the Next Step team is trying to figure out where do all the people from Horizon live? Now, there used to be a time that that would mean I would go down to Allentown and I would buy a map of Allentown and start putting pins in that map. I think we can probably do this technologically now. And I believe that probably with something like Google Maps, there's a way to figure out where everybody lives and have it on everybody's computer. Please don't make me do that. Uh, all right, so I believe that there's somebody here out here listening who loves technology. You can figure this out. We need your help. Secondly, secondly, for all of us, it shouldn't be just the minds of seven people on the Next Step team, but for all of us, you can help us right now to begin creatively address where do we go from here as we start to return to normal? How do we begin to, to meet the needs of capacity that are right here in this church right now? Capacity. Secondly, leadership. There's a leadership capacity problem. One of the ways that we, I don't have the time to talk about it, all of it, but one of the ways that we believe we can handle this leadership capacity problem is to hire Andy, who is now our part-time youth leader, to hire Andy full-time. This is what we want to accomplish when we hire Andy full-time. We want to pay attention to neglected people. People who don't have a voice, but they're neglected. Number one, we want to be able to split our youth group into two youth groups, middle school and high school. Number two, we want to be able to begin a ministry to young adults. That is the out-of-high-school population. There's tremendous neglect there. Unseen people who are not being ministered to. Number three, we want to begin to train and lead more volunteers to teach and lead and help run our youth groups. Andy wants to begin leading a team of people who are going to help and come alongside him, help our middle school and our high school and our young adults. And then fourthly, technology. There is no doubt whatsoever, if you knew the whole story, there's no doubt that God led us to this online ability to do ministry. He's provided for us and he still does. It's, but what we do is extraordinarily complicated. Um, I, 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 this is interesting. Um, if you were watching, did you notice a couple times uh, like, the, like the, the lyrics weren't clicking when they should be? Do you know why? 
You know who was back there clicking the lyrics? <laughs> um, yeah, I was. <laughs> and, and I realized, <laughs> I realized this, this ain't a piece of cake, the way that the tech team makes it look week after week after week. This is complicated. So under Andy's leadership, if we can hire him full time, we want to develop a team of leaders who can understand and develop this important ministry. God gave us this ministry. Uh, we know that we are connecting with people right now that we never met before, unseen people. But it's important, and we want to minister to you. Now, I want to watch, I want you to watch a, minister, a video that, Steve, that we agreed to do really at the end of last year, but didn't yet find an appropriate time to talk about it until today. Steve Hinkle, who at that time was the chair of our, our elders, made a video, a short video, about what needs to happen if we are to do this. So if we are able, um, Steve, go ahead. Thank you, Stephen. Now, finally, um, where we're going is caring. Um, now, it's true that the Stephen ministry that we're beginning is going to greatly increase our capacity to care for each other. But here's the thing. Uh, it's hard as to believe we will very soon uh, begin the process of returning to normal. It's going to take a while, but probably by the end of spring, if everything that I'm reading and hearing and paying attention to is true, by the end of spring, we will begin the process of returning to normal. Last March and last April, there was about a three-week period of time that I thought was absolutely wonderful. Uh, I was home every evening, played games with Donna every evening. My office was quiet. And during that time, I thought, you know, we need to figure out a way to connect. So I got out my church directory, and I resolved last March, last April, that I would call a few people every single day just to connect. And I did, and I kept records of that. Like many of you, after that three-week period of time, my life got far more complicated and far more busy than it has ever been. I stopped doing that, primarily just because I ran out of energy and spend most of my time, like many of you, just weary. Which means there are people that I have not talked to for a year. There are people that our church has been disconnected from for a year. And that breaks my heart. And I'm wondering if you can help. As we begin to think about the process of returning to normal, I'm wondering if some of you are willing to help us connect to recognize that there's an issue of neglect. People that we haven't talked to in a long, long time. 
and an issue of capacity. I can't do it. So if you have a heart, if you'd be willing to make some phone calls, write some notes, contact me so that we can begin the process of reconnecting and return to normal. And then finally, one last plug, join us. This is how we do membership at Horizon, the partner cards. This is our membership process. So if you're here, we invited you last week on the table in the back, there are those little uh, business side called partner cards. There are two of them, okay? One of them has a dotted line across. On that one, sign your name on the dotted line. Leave that one here. And there will come a day when everybody comes back and you will see that every year we take those signed partner cards and we make a display. That's who Horizon Church is. Those are our partners. The other card without the signature line, you keep. Hang it on your bulletin board, put it in your wallet, whatever. If you're watching on YouTube, there's an there's a email address, my email address in the description of the video. It's simple, pastor at horizonconnect.org. Simply email me. I, would, I will send you, or I will ask Joanne to send you, two partner cards, and included in that is a stamped return envelope. Sign one of the cards, put it in the return envelope, and send it back. And whether you're able to actually be here physically or whether you continue watching on YouTube, you're a partner with us because we really want to do life with you. So let me pray for, for, for all of us. And as we begin returning to normal, more than anything, more than anything, we want to be with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you have continued to lead the church. You bring us to these kind of crises of problems. And here we are again, God honestly admitting that there's a, a, a problem, a perfect storm of growth, neglect, and capacity. God, I pray that you will help us as a church to figure out how to solve these problems. I, 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 I know, God, that through your spirit, you're in the process of doing that already. And thank you, God. Help us to be faithful and obedient in following you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.